0: My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... The thing is, I want to learn. And as it turns out, I work with people who know a lot about classical music. Every week on this show, one of my co-workers will give me a homework assignment, a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in The Classical Classroom. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Classical Classroom. I'm your host, Daisha Clay, and today my instructor is going to be an actual... Instructor, Professor Timothy Hester from the University of Houston Moore School of Music. He is the Associate Professor of Piano and Director of Keyboard Collaborative Arts there. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Daisha. I'm really glad to be here to instruct you. Yeah, this is, I mean, I'm going to
0: get an actual bona fide yeah. lesson from a certified professor. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about what you do. What is, for example, um, director of keyboard collaborative arts? What is what does that mean?
1: Well, collaborative playing is when you play with other people, mm-hmm. and so as opposed to just by yourself. Oh, sure. And so, uh, chamber music and accompanying all sorts of uh, different sized groups. And I I'm involved in teaching chamber music, and I teach courses in collaborative art playing, the art of playing uh collaborative music which is quite difficult you know there's a lot of skills involved that aren't necessarily the same as uh playing by yourself
0: and you're also on the uh the faculty of the houston grand opera studio so you're into opera as well that's right one of the busiest people i've ever met i'm sure not i'm sure not well so what are you going to be teaching me about today
1: well, I just noticed that you said you don't really have much background in classical music. Mm-hmm. You probably listened to a lot of rock and that kind of thing when yeah. you were growing up. So, I did too. I mean, yeah. I, you know, in in uh, in 1968, my parents took me to the what's now the Arena Theater. It used to be called the Houston Music Theater for what they thought would be a kids' show. Mm-hmm. Because there was this song by the Ohio Express called Yummy Yummy Yummy. I got love in my tummy. Do you remember <laughs> I know that, that song? song? yeah. And I said, I had heard they were coming, and I said, Mom, Dad, can I go to this show? You know? Mm-hmm. And they said, Sure, Timmy. You know, because mm-hmm. we lived right around the corner in Sharpstown and uh, they dropped me off. They took me over and dropped me off. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that the Ohio Express was the opening band for Steppenwolf. What? <laughs> so I was ten years old by myself. <laughs> In a suit at a Steppenwolf concert, that is awesome. and it was it was unbelievable. It was well, like the best night of my life, you know well. I mean, I think that was even back when hippies were a new thing, you know yeah. it was like really exciting, and the music was just amazing. And so I've been hooked by by rock music all my life, yeah. and I love jazz and and uh, the whole idea of those songs you know the Beatles and all those those groups that we had, they're songs that are short, pretty much, yeah. unless it's like low Spark of High heel Boys, it's like eleven minutes or yeah. or Kashmir or something like that by led Ze they' right. they're, it got it. they're yeah. kind of right, yeah. <laughs> but they're all kind of short, you know and and that's I became interested in in one of the things I do is uh, play a lot of character pieces, mm-hmm. and character pieces are shorter pieces. They're like miniatures okay. that composers wrote. And and uh, Brahms, Johannes Brahms, late in his life, wrote a, a bunch of character pieces. And character pieces have names like capriccio, intermezzo, waltz, mm-hmm. nocturne, anything that's not a sonata.
0: Okay. Oh, wait, what is a sonata?
1: <clears throat> sonata is a – it's actually a word that means sound. Okay. You know, it's a sounding piece. Yeah. But usually what we think of it is, is a – it's a form of music that has an a a b and then a return you know it's like a an exposed area of new material that has mm-hmm. a couple of ideas then a, an area where that's developed mm-hmm. by changing harmonies and manipulating those two ideas and then it comes back home to the original material okay toward the end and uh and that grew out of a form called rounded binary form and one of the pieces we're going to look at today is a i would call it probably like a rounded binary form which (laughs) is sort of like a miniature sonata form i
0: see
1: where there is a return
0: what's okay so what's the length of your average sonata
1: average sonata gosh well scarlatti sonatas that are old are, are they're kind of like a binary form but you know beethoven wrote uh A sonata that's, you know, 52 minutes long. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) They can be huge. Okay. They can really be huge.
0: And are they typically for one instrument or for many instruments or how does...
1: They can be for one or many. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it is is really interesting. Hmm. So the idea is that these names of uh, character pieces can be words that describe the mood of the music that you're going to play. Yeah. So Brahms wrote this... You know, capriccio, it'll be a capricious uh, uh-huh. uh, idea. Or he wrote a waltz, it will be like a dance, like a waltz. Or a nocturne that Chopin wrote will be like a night piece mm-hmm. and have that kind of mood. And maybe not necessarily an actual night piece, but more of a dream of a night piece, like, a, like a psychological time piece. Okay that you imagine a nocturne yeah you know so it doesn't really have to be music that you snore with <laughs> <laughs> it can be music that you just you hear and then it takes you to another world and you kind of go into a daydream and listen to it like and
0: captures you, the mood of right. of nighttime right. rather than okay
1: and so what brahms did he wrote um Late in his life, this group of six pieces called Opus 118 mm-hmm. in 1893, and the first two pieces are sort of linked together. They're uh, they have a similar tonality, mm-hmm. and uh, and the first one sort of sets the table for the second one.
0: Okay,
1: and they're beautiful pieces. They're really beautiful, and Brahms, you know, he's a he's a master at writing in this form because he's a master of of nuance, mm-hmm. which I think, comes from having a very nuanced personality and also nuanced technique of composition.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about Brahms? Like, when did he live and who were his contemporaries, that kind of thing?
1: Well, Brahms was born in 1833 and died in 1897. Those are his dates. He also had dates with Caroline and Diana and Gretchen and people like that. No, I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, uh, no, he spent most of his life hiding in the bushes watching Clara Schumann with some binoculars. <laughs> he, had a, he had a close relationship with Robert Schumann's wife, Clara. Ooh. And Robert was a mentor of his, and, and he had a very close friendship. No one really knows the extent of their relationship, but mm-hmm. he dedicated many pieces to her. <laughs> and this is one of them. Okay. Uh, so she died about maybe a couple maybe three or four years after this was composed. And he did too. Uh, I'm not sure of her dates, but, but it was a time of life when all of his friends were dying, mm-hmm. and he you know he, he had great uh, a deep feeling that he wanted to express, mm-hmm. I guess, music that could console people. And at the university we had uh in 2001 you know after 911 mm-hmm. we had what we called a remembrance and unity mm-hmm. concert and I played one of the 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 second one the opus oh. 118 number 2 at that performance because I felt I worked at the World Trade Center when I lived in New York oh, wow. and uh and I felt like it, this piece of all captured a, a feeling of uh of wonder Mm-hmm. That that it it kind of described the feeling that you're just in awe of life, yeah, and and what can happen, and yeah. so I felt like it was the right choice.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it is a really really lovely piece. Was um was Brahms Austrian or German?
1: Oh dear. Well, he was born in Hamburg. Okay. So. Okay. I guess he would be German. Yeah. Although I'm not a music historian, so I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love so. I
0: love asking people questions they can't answer on my show. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> well, let's hear some music.
1: Sure. Well, I'll play. I'll go ahead and play. Maybe I'll play both of them in a row because one leads to the other very well, and then we okay. can talk about
0: them. That sounds good. Okay. Yeah.
1: This first one is uh, it's an they're both intermezzos. So they're uh, the first one is marked. Allegro non assai, Mm -hmm. ma molto appassionato. Mm -hmm. So that means not too fast, but with great passion. Okay. And uh, the second one is marked andante teneramente, which is uh, usually you think of it as a walking pace, although I like to think of an andante as if I was in a canoe. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll explain (laughs) that later. And (laughs) teneramente means caringly, you know, like you're holding a baby or something like that.
0: I had no idea that musical notation was so descriptive.
1: It can be unbelievable like in Beethoven's markings are are really they're like huge long descriptions. But that's what that's the most important thing and huh. that you understand what they mean. I mean, I had a student that I it, the marking was allegro con brio and mm-hmm. I said, "Well, do you know what that means?" and they said, "Well, it means it means uh Fast, and then they weren't sure what con meant. Mm. And they guessed that it meant fast with cheese. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that actually means fast with fire. Oh. So wow. anyway, I'll try this okay. first one and then go to the second
0: one. Sounds good. <clears throat> That was awesome. Oh, thanks. That was amazing. Yeah, I had one of those moments where I was listening to you play, and I was like, I can't believe that I get paid to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Personal piano performance. I can't believe I don't get paid to do it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You get paid with my company. (laughs) That was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Wow. It's beautiful music. You know, it's just...
1: That's what is so much fun about it is that you, you just you pour yourself into it you know and, and every single time you play it you'll find different things and, and depending on your own mood and and uh, how fresh and alive you feel uh-huh. you you really can uh, lose yourself in the music
0: mm-hmm. definitely it's very sort of mesmerizing mm-hmm. it's just so it never except for very very briefly it, it just kind of keeps flowing mm-hmm On and on. You know, as as I was listening, uh, that was one thing I noticed was that that the piece, like, that both both of those pieces are just, they're just chock full of notes.
1: Yeah, you know, there are a lot of notes, but every single one of them has been completely thought out. The reason for their every single note's existence, Mm -hmm. Brahms considered. Because he was a, a master of voice leading. In mm-hmm. other words, he you know the harmonies that he uses, he uh, he knows exactly where one voice needs to lead, hmm. and somehow he's able to to touch you know to lock into emotions mm-hmm. with these harmonies, and so it's the voicing of the chords, just like great jazz players, you know the way yeah. they voice their chords, uh, you you find beauty. Yeah. So there are a lot of notes, but but it's not trivial at all. Right. It's
0: not. It's not sort of. um, What's the word that I'm looking for? It's. It's not. Nothing is wasted. Yeah. It's like this one
1: note. I'm going to play my favorite. One of my favorite notes.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's a G sharp, and I'll just play G sharp for you. Okay. But if you hear if you hear the way this G sharp functions in the phrase, it's gorgeous. Listen to this. So you'll hear the G sharp here, mm-hmm. and it's it's like that moment when your your eyes well up with tears before mm-hmm. you start crying. You know the G sharp <laughs> comes, and then you know oh, my God, this is really going to be over. I can tell it's going to end, and I don't want it to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's really a touching note. And yet, if you don't know that, if you don't know the theoretical reason, you can still react to it. Mm-hmm. And yet, knowing the theoretical reason, you think, oh, my God, this guy's brilliant. Mm-hmm. How did he think of doing that? You know? <laughs> <And> the- <laughs> so so there, and there are a lot of notes like that.
0: I've wondered... You know, this was written at such a different time and such a different place than what I'm familiar with. And I imagine that there were nuances of emotion uh, and things like that that Brahms might have and his contemporaries might have felt that I don't even know about. That's possible. But
1: when you think about it, you know, a flower is still a flower, you know, and we're all human. And Mm -hmm. I think what you're touching on is, is really the crux of the matter. And, that, and there's a term that we use called gesture. Mm. And uh, there was a great American composer, Roger Sessions, who wrote a book called Questions About Music. And <laughs> in this book, he focuses part of the book on the concept of gesture. And what that means is, you know, the, the composer can write down the music and indicate what he thinks, if it's a good composer, what the gestures should be. Mm-hmm. You know, you say, what is a gesture? Well, basically, you have what I call a positive gesture and a negative gesture, yeah. and many degrees in between. The positive gesture is in the music is when you know you play something and you're projecting out to the audience, and they're listening to it, and they're they're leaning back going, "Oh my God, listen to that!" <laughs> you know it's like a really strong place, mm-hmm. you know, and so the performer has to be flexes. Muscles a little bit, his right. spirit, and 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 flex out into the yeah. audience like a solar flare, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the opposite is a negative gesture. And in that one, you have the kind of moment in the music where the performer needs to be at their most vulnerable mm-hmm. and opening themselves up, so that the audience leans forward and they empathize and they say, "Oh my gosh, what." Is he okay? <laughs> you, know, you know, and it's like there's constant flux, like the way uh-huh. a tree moves in the wind. You know, it's like back and forth in different directions, and you have you have these moments in the music that are that demand that if the music's gonna succeed. It's mm-hmm. so like you have I'll play a let me play a phrase and you'll hear two different gestures okay. within one phrase. Okay. That was just a simple moment where you had one phrase that went out and the other one Hmm. coming back. And it can be done, you know, in much larger, louder ways, Mm -hmm. too, like in the first piece, in the Mm -hmm. first piece, uh, these two phrases. The two phrases are different, even though they look rhythmically the same. Mm -hmm. You have these harmonies that go out and then some that pull in. It's like almost like like a wave. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: What do you think Brahms was the master of? What do these pieces illustrate that maybe? other composers around his time. Well, he
1: was sort of known as a classicist uh, around his time. There were some Mm -hmm. people felt he was stuck in the old way. Yeah. But he was a master at writing counterpoint layers. Um, In this first piece, you hear that first theme that goes like this. It's just a simple melody. It's a motive Mm -hmm. that comes... And then going against that is this accompaniment that comes up. Mm-hmm. So you have two completely different mm-hmm. things that go together and work. Yeah. And, uh, or you have canons. There's a perfect canon in this, in this piece. And
0: What is a canon?
1: A canon is like row, row, row your boat,
0: oh, where you okay. have one
1: thing following the next. Got it. And in this choral section, you can hear, and I'll accent it so you can hear the canon.
0: Okay.
1: You hear the -hmm. the left hand following the right hand. Yeah. And it's sort of, when you're playing it, you think to yourself, okay, well, the one melody is maybe I'm speaking, Mm -hmm. and the other melody is my thinking about what what i just said
0: thinking <laughs> you
1: know was that mm-hmm. is that what i really feel or i feel it so much or such you know some
0: way to think about and, that uh,
1: and there's all kinds of places in this music where you can you know you can put yourself into it and it mm-hmm. actually speaks the way you, that you feel you know mm. so i think he's a master of harmony voice leading he's the master at making a simple melody somehow work. So I know that if you look at things theoretically, you start to marvel at how did he think of that? You know, it seems (laughs) so simple and yet it works. Mm -hmm. So it could be that he understood so much of harmonies from the time of Palestrina and he he understood so much about what had been done prior to him by Beethoven and Mozart and, and then he just kept developing it so it became even more and more refined. I see. So.
0: Wow. This has been fascinating. And it has been so much fun to to see someone perform live. It's one of my favorite things.
1: It's a lot better than seeing them perform dead.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: True story. Well, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for showing this to thank me. Thank you,
1: Daisha. And good luck with your ongoing journey.
0: Thank you. And listeners, if you have any questions that you would like addressed on the Classical Classroom, don't forget to send me an email at dclay at classical917.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.